I'm going to go completely off the top of my head like this episode. This will definitely be my thoughts on religion. This one will be the episode where I can finish the recording of it and no longer feel that I left something out. So let me talk more about my views on religion. I feel like the best way for me to take my one month break is to go off the top of my head as long as I'm led to in my in, in my heart. So let's freestyle this together, shall we? I was marinating on my thoughts about religion all day today. And I come to the conclusion that I'm the type of person that loves to love people that don't think my thoughts, that don't have the same love that I do, that have different love styles than I do. The people who don't share the same lifestyles that I do. The people who perceive life diversely. The people that have thoughts that usually I don't think. I come to realize that religion made it difficult for me to have compassionate love for people who have different life experiences than I do. It could be different physical life experiences, different sexual life experiences, different financial life experiences, different racial life experiences, different social life experiences, different um, environmental life experiences, different religious experiences than I do, different um, governmental experiences than I do, different political experiences than I do, different cultural experiences than I do, um, different personality experiences than I do, just all around different experiences than I do, religion made it hard for me to fully love people who are different than I am in every which kind of way. And I decided that my being secular allows me the freedom to be fully comfortable with people that are totally on a opposite side of the human spectrum than I. So that was the biggest hurdle that I faced when it came to religion of how can I, this is when I was much younger, how can I call myself a Christian but the Bible says unflattering paragraphs about people that I'm taught to see and think of and feel and speak of as human forms of immorality. So me giving up religious Christianity was my way of saying I want to be able to be able to talk to people that may not have my convictions. That doesn't make them necessarily bad people. I'm talking about positive people who have different convictions and opinions than I do. Who I want to talk to them if they have a different political party persuasion. I want to understand why do you think the way you do? 
so I can love them in the ways that they need to be loved because different people, diverse people, require different treatment, diverse treatment. We all do. We all have to be loved in diverse fashions. That doesn't mean that no, that love is absent. It means that I want to be able to have constructive, productive interactions with people that I need to learn and grow from them, learn and grow from the most. And those are people that are not the same as myself, because I honestly feel that to constantly be around people that are different than me, and the first thoughts that pop into your head are Satan and hell regarding people who are not the same as you. To me, that is hateful, therefore unloving. And subconsciously, I would see that happening when I was in the believer world, where the, the words that they would say, the ways that they would look at people different than them, the type of mean-spirited jokes, the type of cool inside jokes, the type of banter. I could tell that they were going through the motions of being quote-unquote nice to them, but in reality, there was no niceness at all. It was all rudeness, immeasurable rudeness. humongous is not even the word. That's how big. It's bigger than that. That's how big the rudeness was. And so I, I want to be able to be around people who are different than myself, and I don't think of eternal condemnation and temporary condemnation when I first think of people that are different than myself. That was another issue of religion that I was wrestling with. Um, another issue that I had and I must confess this was when I was growing up, I started understanding that atheists always claimed me as one of them. And I never said that I wasn't one of them because the things that they would say would speak to my heart the most because their embracing of gray areas, their scholarly research junkie way of being, all those things are natural parts of who I am. And their ways of disagreeing with the Bible's descriptions of God and their, their mindfulness, their present moment mentalities, those are all things that resonated with my inner being. And I've been in Black Atheist groups on Clubhouse, and it has been wonderful for me. I still get claimed as an atheist, and I don't fight it because, to be honest, I don't see the concept of God the way that believers do. See, they have this sense of God is only for one set of people. 
I disagree with that. Here's why. If you're a deity, and, and let's just use our vivid imaginations. I'm not trying. I'm not being preachy or churchy, but let's think about this. Let's say you're a deity, and you've made billions of human billions of human beings because of your own prerogative. Why would you only be for a handful of people, but you allow billions of other people to be in what I call a non-believer torture chamber called hell? If I'm a deity, I'm not going to only be for a handful of good people. I'm going to be for all the good people, whether you are a Christian or not. Non-Christians, I would be for them too if I'm a deity. So I had to go, the human descriptions of God and gods are just worthy of, of strong disagreement from me. I strongly disagree with all their um, conceptions of God and gods because it always means that billions of good people are left out. Billions of humane and ethical and compassionate and empathetic people are excluded. If that's what y'all call y'all religions, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, I don't I don't want it. If you're not for all good people in terms of if you're not for all morally excellent people, whether they're Christian or not, leave me the hell alone. I don't want to deal with your ass. I want you to stay the fuck away from me. And that's why I have a definition of atheism that is very exceptional. Let me explain what that means for me. Atheism for me means that I reject otherism conceptualizations of Christ figures too. What does that mean? If you're only coming to earth to get people that think like you into your parents' paradise and all the other billions of people are not written in your parents' book of life and you have what it takes to truly connect with billions of people who are not Christian. And you don't do that. I can't accept you. Because any deity that is for otherism, tribalism, us versus them, warfare, and persecution of people that are unlike you and you're for atheist discrimination for discrimination of people who are not Christian in general I reject you in my mind I do not mind the concept of a God if that is true if that is the truth I don't reject truth but the concepts that are given to me by believers, I do not accept because otherism leads to human rights violations. Tribalism leads to human rights violations. Us versus them leads to human rights violations. Discrimination and persecution of people 
who are unlike Christians leads to human rights violations. So if you have verses in a book that's supposed to be about you and you make it easy according to the theology of the book, the anthology, a collection of books, the Bible is the most well-known anthology, right? It's a canon. Canon is a series or sequels of books of you. If it's easy to torture non-Christians, you're not God to me. You're not a Christ to me. I can't. If you're not willing to lend a helping hand to people who are non-believers and unbelievers, I have no association with them. So my definition of atheism is not typical. It's very atypical because I'm a metaphorical, allegorical, um, metaphysical, spiritually transcendent, um, transcendentalist type of thinker. I'm a new thought thinker. I'm a new age thinker. I think in poetry. Um, I think in parables and fables when I get introduced to concepts. That's how my 3D mind works. And I said, look, for me, I don't believe in a God that is uncomfortable with outreach to those that don't believe. I'm uncomfortable with a God who would allow situations that would make people not believe. I'm like, if you want people to believe, truly meet people where they are. Don't write verses that can encourage extremists to keep girls and women from driving. And now, recently, from what I'm hearing or seeing, correct me if I'm wrong, that now, in Middle Eastern countries, women are now allowed to drive. But for a while, they weren't even allowed to drive. They had to wear an overly conservative clothing to cover them. And you have verses in the Bible that can make a man go, yeah, let's do what these Muslim extremists are doing. Let's be Christian extremists and join with them. And I'm just saying to myself, I can't. I have a problem with the caught in adultery Jesus story. I was talking with my best friend and we both concluded that that is a rape culture story. Hear me out. So I'll tell you two rape culture stories in the Bible. So I'm going to actually pull it up so you won't no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I said I'm going to do this all off the top of my head. I'm going to trust my thinking. I'm not going to overlie on the thinking of others. I'm going to totally rely on my own thinking. Here we go. So, Jesus is teaching. The religious leaders are not there. They find a woman in bed with a man, pull her out, and expose her to Jesus. Jesus ignores them at first, but they keep badgering him with questions, so he writes down on the ground. And whatever he wrote made the oldest leave, then the youngest man should left. Everybody left, and the woman is basically face to face with Jesus. Jesus says to her, Where are your accusers? Where are they? Is there anybody to accuse you? I'm just paraphrasing. She says, No one, sir, or no one, Lord, depending on the version. And then she says, Neither, then he says, neither academia go and sin no more. And that's the end of the story. You know, he did write on the ground. And he said, let he saw sin cast the first stone. So presumably, the crowd was all male. He said he. But it makes me question, if a woman is in that situation, I can't imagine there was 
no other woman in the crowd. That comes off as very heteronormative to me. Because in that town, anything involving a woman, I can't imagine other women not having any intriguing interest towards that. It's not, that's very unrealistic to me. So let me, let me tell you my thoughts on this story. So, I see a violation of bodily integrity because I think the woman was naked when she was pulled out. And I think she was still naked when they exposed her to Jesus. I think Jesus saw her naked. I really do think that's what happened. In a patriarchal culture, is a woman's consent to nudity paid attention to? No. Is a woman's bodily human rights paid attention to? That's how they feel. The sound I made, that's not me being happy about that. That is exactly how misogynists who happen to have dicks and balls, that's how they feel. Let's be honest. So another issue I have with the story is, but Jesus did not have the man come to where he was, where the woman was too, because they were together. Why didn't he get on the man? Why say to the woman, you can't sin anymore, even though I give you grace? but you don't have that man being told first. I don't understand. If you're addressing everybody quote unquote sin, you should have supernaturally had the man come to where the woman was and she was right there with Jesus. Get on everybody. If everybody sins, everybody gets dealt with. That's how it's supposed to be morally. So that's why I think that story is, I gotta be honest, it's complete bullshit. I just gotta say it again, it's complete bullshit. Because how come the woman's bodily integrity was ignored? How come her right to privacy was violated? How come she could be naked in front of total strangers? To me, that's that's a sex offense. All these are sex offenses. All of these are sex crimes in my view. And to me, it wasn't adultery. Because a lot of times the Bible says adultery. I'm like, it's not adultery. It's rape culture. Because let's say it started out as adultery. But as soon as you take a woman away, it would be just as bad if there was a man or non-binary person being taken away. It would be just as bad if the person was not cisgendered, not heterosexual, right? I, I got to be fair to everybody. But you took a woman away. She didn't consent to being taken away. It doesn't even say if the man put up a fight to have her stay or not. But... A woman's, a woman's private sex life was exposed to people that I know in my heart she didn't want all her private sex life to be out there. So a group of people can know a woman's private sex life and Jesus doesn't admonish those guys for doing exactly that. And the woman needed counseling, just telling her, go and sin no more. And that's not enough. She is still dealing with the traumatic effects of her personal information being exposed to masses of people that she didn't want them to be known. That's why it was her and that guy. But then that raises questions. I think the Pharisees were rapists. I think the religious leaders of that day, the patriarchal culture, so you can use religion to make life a living hell for women sexually, politically, economically, environmentally, racially, 
mentally, intellectually, financially, academically, so on and so forth. Governmentally, can't leave that out. When it comes to criminal justice system, you can have women experience criminal injustice and make it a criminal justice system for women because you can do that because you're the law and the law and religion one and the same. So that story lets me know that rapist religious leaders were even common even back then. Because I read that story and I go, I can't call it adultery once you add the elements of the embarrassment of the woman, the shame of the woman, the humiliation of the woman. Once you add those things in, that's what lets me know that she was a victim. And so I think adultery is the wrong word. I think rape is the right word. What if the guy was in on what the Pharisees were doing? Because of the patriarchal culture. Pa- patriarchal dudes make well of each other. To some extent, other extent, they compete with each other on who can be the most patriarchal. Who can have the most sex with the most women? That has been an ancient-ass problem. Competing with women sexually, numerically, and being astronomical about it in terms of attempts has been going on before the first century. So... But they're the law and their religion. They can go, well, we're still going to heaven because as long as we're not um, passive partners when it comes to male-to-male sex, then we're still going to heaven. There was an ancient... Homophobia is ancient. So... And they could could divorce their wife for any and every reason. Speaking of that, I have a problem with how can the Bible's eyewitnesses in quotations, allegedly, because I I don't think they're written by eyewitnesses personally. If I'm Jesus, the very first thing that I would do would be to make sure that everybody can read and write about me. I'll make sure everybody can read and write because you mean to tell me Frederick Douglass could have a Sunday school for black people forced into enslavement by racists who just happen to have pale skin. So... Frederick Douglass had more compassion for the people of his day than Jesus when it came to Jesus' people of Jesus' day. One of the very first things I do is make sure that everybody's reading it right. That way, when I want a book written about me, let's say Jesus had the Bible in mind to have him included. I would have people writing and reading about like there's no tomorrow. Everywhere I go, you're going to have eyewitness written accounts. You're going to describe everything I said. You're going to describe everything I did. And you're going to be accurate about both. In fact, I'll let you describe how I looked, how my voice sounded like, my personality, so people can understand that I'm human. Because a lot of people say, but the Bible warns against, you know, graven images of a man. Graven, no, no, no. Graven images of God, right? But he said that Jesus was a he. If you didn't want graven images of a God, then Jesus should not have appeared on earth, plain and simple. If you didn't want graven images or idolatrous images or idol worship when it came to a human beings, then Jesus should never appear on earth. In my mind, If once you come on earth, 
if you could describe the clothes, if you could, if you could say, okay, he wore a tunic, he wore a robe, or alluding to him having short hair because Paul had this distaste for effeminacy, which I think is ancient homophobia. If he had, oh, Jesus can't have long hair, man can't have long hair. So he's basically saying he had short hair. What's wrong with describing how he looked? You have white, you have racist people who have to get pale skin who claim that Jesus was white. They have this white Jesus theory. So no matter how Jesus looks, bigots are going to claim him. And why not just put a describe how he looked? Okay, he was six, two, or five, three, or four, six. Okay, describe his height so people can understand that this is a real person. Okay, he was this height. He went, he had the barber of his day, and he may have used a knife to cut his hair, you know, because. They were skilled with knives back then, or he could have had, you know, been clean shaven. He didn't like to grow a beard. Make him relatable. We know that no race owns Jesus. We understand that. We know that no human group owns Jesus. So if you put him out there, the way he looked and sounded, we're not trying to good. Morally excellent people like myself, we're not trying to own Jesus. We just want the full humanized Jesus. However, whatever the truths are and are not, just give us the facts and the evidence. We're not trying to make everybody faith-based people. That's not our concern. Our concern is if you say he was a real person, just let us know. And if I'm Jesus, I'm going to write the Bible myself because I know that human beings are going to make me look fucked up. Human beings are going to fuck me up in in what is called, quote unquote, my own words. So to have it your own words instead instead of humans' own words, write the Bible, you damn Write it yourself. At least you know you won't fuck it up. And if you're going to write it, make sure that other people can easily vouch for you. you everywhere you go, archaeologists should go, yep, Jesus, real person. Because I'm looking at the history, historical, alleged historical works that said to be about Jesus, and I go, but. There's very little said about him. I find that problematic. If you are what people are saying about you know modern day and just historically for thousands of years in terms of Jesus and Jesus being Jesus, then there should be over abundance. Like we can't stop finding people and written accounts and first person accounts that are said, okay. Jesus was my neighbor, or Jesus was my best friend, or Jesus was my talk buddy, or Jesus was my hangout buddy, or Jesus was my acquaintance, Jesus was my co-worker slash colleague, Jesus and I did entrepreneurship together. I'm thinking if you are what you say you are, then there should be so many people that can write things that last forever about you and us modern people can get our hands on it and our eyes on it and can feel what is said about you. We can hear it. So,
that's why I read the Bible when I go, I don't agree with the descriptions of deities and Christ figures that are said to be in not just the Bible and all the other religious texts too. Because human rights abuses being attached to deities and Christ figures makes me go, those deities and Christ figures are not worthy of my worship and not worthy of me believing. Um, how I define Christ-likeness for myself is it lacks religion completely, number one. No religiosity at all. For me, it's more, it's not even about saving people that are supposedly quote-unquote bad, which I reject wholeheartedly. To me, it's about preserving wholeness. Wholeness is you avoid the two extremes of overindulgence of everything and abstaining from everything. To me, the middle ground of moderate indulgence and Knowing when to start and knowing when to stop, I think that is a balanced existence. To me, that's Christ-like. It has nothing to do with dying for people that you think are scumbags. It has nothing to do with performing feats, F-E-A-T-S, that are either debunked by science or science says it is unverifiable. To me, it's not about It's not even about Putting myself in situations where I'm my dad and my dad is me. No, has nothing to do with that either. These, I'm just redefining the word. For me, the word Christ-likeness. That's what I'm talking about. Um, to me, it's about How I see and treat what is who and what is considered different. Diversity, plurality. To me, it's all about not allowing the complexities of life to get me down because to me, Christ's life is about you can't simplify trauma. You can't simplify complexity. You can't simplify long-term solutions. You can't simplify what people go to therapy for. And that's what I think is a word. For me, what does it mean for me to be secular? As you already know, I'm a secular person, first and foremost. 
for me being secular means that I can um, I do not allow I don't allow my reasonable ignorance to make me a monster to aspects of life that I don't understand. To me, being secular is more about I'm earthy in a well-mannered kind of way. It means that I love being an earthling and I'm worldly from a standpoint of I usher in neighborliness to the world. So I love the world as a loving neighbor. That's what makes me worldly. I'm fleshly meaning I honor the bodily integrity of others and I honor my own bodily integrity and other people honor my bodily integrity along with me and I honor my bodily integrity along with others. I want, uh, what's that to put it? I honor the bodily, bodily integrity of others along with others. That, so I'm fleshly. Um, I'm a heathen in the sense that I love to go against the grain. Um, and act APT ways. I'm I'm a pagan in the sense that how I go about nature and customs is about integrating my flesh and my inner life and having them as comrades and companions that work together for the good and greater good of the diversification of beings. And if people want to call me a sinner, I accept the title because I'm a badass for all the good reasons. Let's talk about the David Tamar story. Why is it peeping Tom a rapist, a non-protector of his daughter, doing nothing when his son hurt Tamar? Again, his daughter, Amnon's son. Why is he celebrated as a man of God's own heart? But Tamar's not considered a woman after God's own heart. And why do I have to read the words of a rapist, but I can't read the words of a rape survivor named Tamar? But I have to read the words of the rapist David because he did spy on Bathsheba, peeping Tom. And because there's abuse of power dynamics, it's not adultery, he raped her. Because enthusiastic consent is not directly stated in the story of David and Bathsheba. And enthusiastic consent was something I never heard in church. I've heard secular people, the first people to say the word enthusiastic consent. Mm. So secular people value enthusiastic consent more than 
faith-based persons, which is a shame and disgrace of faith-based persons, and it's also a damn good thing and a love thing comes to us seculars. Um, I thought of the fact that I refuse to call David a king because he could have had Bathsheba and Uriah killed, even if Bathsheba explicitly directly said no. And the fact that there's an element of murder and I'm looking at her and it's not even stated that she was in on it, that means in my view, that's rape culture. That's a rape culture story. And the rape baby between David and Bathsheba, not Solomon, dies because of David impregnating her through rape, but David the rapist doesn't get killed. David the rapist doesn't die. And then, why would I still procreate with somebody I raped and have Solomon, who was one of the greatest misogynists, when I say greatest, I don't mean good great, I mean bad great. He was one of the worst misogynists out there. So a thousand women are not free of patriarchy. Even though you're the king, you can stop patriarchy, you won't. So 1,000 women are victimized by male misogyny. You can't have sex with all those women. You're not paying attention to all those women. You don't know all those women. You're not talking to all those women. You're not trying to understand all those women. You don't care about their likes, their dislikes, their fears, their ups, their downs, what they feel courageous about. So, so Solomon inherited male misogyny from David, his fake father. He's not a real father to me because he was a piece of shit when it came to Solomon. Great baby. And Tamar the most. But then Absalom, who slept with all his so-called daddy David's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So Absalom had a male misogyny problem too. From, again, his so-called fake daddy David. But then Absalom tells Tamar, basically shut the fuck up. Two years later, Absalom kills his brother Amnon, who raped Tamar. So, you're trying to control my justice, but you're supposed to be my flesh and blood sibling. Again, that is just highly problematic. It's highly problematic. So, there was an honor killing, and Tamar didn't have to say so, but if she wanted to have the honor killing. Which I, I I thoroughly dislike. It's gonna have an honor killing. At least have the victim give consent. Even though honor killing is controversial. Still, you know what I mean? I think um I think, in my view, I also don't like the story of David and Bathsheba because how many other women was David? being a peeping Tom and a rapist towards. How many women did not experience enthusiastic consent? How many women even the concubines 
to our nameless. I always had an issue with unnamed women and nameless women in the Bible because I think that is misogyny in and of itself. You can name the guys. You can name the guys more than the women, which is fucked up and shitty to me. That's assholeism in my view, but that's jackassism in my view too. So I also wanted to um, say that that's why I can't stand those stories. Tamar didn't get a chance to tell the story. Why is she desolate, but David is not? much explains the rest of my views on religion. And so I just want to say I thank us to be secularly naked and secularly unashamed.